We want to welcome everyone to this week's ICEJ weekly webinar, Thursday, 4 p.m. in the afternoon Israel time. That means here we're here dealing with uh, uh, Bible teaching, current affairs, many other topics that we deal with here at the Christian Embassy. And this week uh, we are talking about the tragedy of Afghanistan. We have some very special guests that we're so happy to have them. And when we speak of the tragedy of Afghanistan, uh, we mean it, uh, we say tragedy in the, in the most negative, pessimistic, heartbreaking sense of the word, that this just in it isn't some Greek play with a sad or ironic ending. This is an unmitigated catastrophe that's happening in Afghanistan before the whole world with the precipitous American pullout, uh, uh, not really giving the Afghan forces that they've trained and equipped the sort of preparation and time and motivation to deal with it and uh, with the, the consequences of it. And now people trying to flee uh, the return of the Taliban regime and its oppression of women and, uh, and uh, forced Sharia law and, and all that they bring with them. Uh, when they take command in Afghanistan. Now, uh, we have two guests today. Uh, first of all, my good friend, Dan Diker from here in Jerusalem. He's with the Jerusalem Center for Public Affairs. Dan is Harvard educated, um, was a, a newsman for the IBA, for the uh, Israeli news here for a while. He's ha had a stint with the uh, World Jewish Congress as a senior officer in that, but spent most of the last 25, 20, 25 years, I guess, Dan, with the Jerusalem Center for Public a Affairs, one of the premier think tanks in Jerusalem, headed by Dory Gold, and Dan can handle a number of issues, and we used to use him a lot on our radio show, Front Page Jerusalem. Good to see you, Dan. Yes, and uh, our other guest is Georg Taubman, who uh, has, uh, is a German uh, Christian who has spent many, many years working in Afghanistan in a lot of humanitarian areas, relief, aid, uh, water, housing, so many areas poured you know, much of his life now into this country, a real heart for the country. And we're very pleased to have him. Uh, and he, in fact, was, was there um, uh, when the fighting broke out uh, uh, in 2001 with the U.S. invasion. And he was actually held by the Taliban for a while, along with some colleagues in the uh, uh, humanitarian group that he helps run. And uh, so he's actually been held uh, as a prisoner of the Taliban. He knows them well. And I think we want to give you some time first, uh, Georg, and just giving us a short capsule of your experience there and that time with the Taliban. And then we'll get up to uh, recent events and what you see, uh, what your folks are telling you on the ground there in Afghanistan. So please uh, tell us a, a little of your connection with Afghanistan and what you went through with the Taliban there. You have to unmute. Sorry. Yes. Okay. You're, you're unmuted. Yes. Can you hear me? Yes. 
Yeah, okay. We have been, uh, I personally have been involved in working uh, either directly in Afghanistan or close at the border to uh, Afghanistan for the last um, 38 years. And lived myself there with my family for 24 years in both countries. Uh, we have witnessed the horrors that started in 79 when the Russian army invaded Afghanistan and uh, were in there for about 10 years, <clears throat> which um, left Afghanistan quite devastated. Then came another war <clears throat> between the Mujahideen, those who uh, captured Afghanistan, and that caused the major cities to be destroyed. And then in 96, the Taliban came to power and another wave of horrible oppression came over the people of Afghanistan. In fact, I lived then with my family and uh, we had an office uh, already uh, in, uh, in, in, in Afghanistan, living right, uh, right there where you know, the Taliban ruled. Um, in fact, actually, um, uh, we also worked in Kandahar, where Osama bin Laden had his headquarter, and we had an office there. Um, yes, yeah, so we did uh, humanitarian work at that time, uh, and uh, we were, yeah, we we what which uh, we witnessed through all these years the horrible uh, suffering of these people, and another wave, another wave, another another wave, and then suddenly, of course. And the Taliban government collapsed in 2001, end of 2001. Finally, from 2002 on, uh, this government, this country was built up again in amazing ways. I mean, what happened in these last 20 years, for me, this is an example of how you can uh, 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 build up again a, a nation that was completely devastated. Um, and so Afghans had hopes, you know, had... And, and, you know, a lot of these hopes were met, you know, schools were built, universities, clinics, um, you know, social, uh, even there was, um, there were, you know, we had about 30 TV stations, uh, which was not there before, no TV station at all during Taliban time. Um, and uh, the, Af the, you know, US trained the, 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 the Afghan forces and, and other governments also. And uh, so, so things were actually, developing very well, you know, for a country that was completely destroyed. And uh, of course, then the major, uh, most of the troops were pulled out because Afghanistan, Afghan government was able to fight or the army was able to fight uh, the Taliban and keep them away. Not a single uh, print, um, province city was ever captured by the Taliban. Uh, and then suddenly this decision on, I think it was 14th of April, we all watched that meeting with the foreign minister and the um, defense minister of America. He came to Brussels and I, it seems to me they put pressure on NATO because up to that time, NATO said, we have to stay in Afghanistan. We cannot leave this country. The army is not in a position to help itself. Uh, they still needed logistical support, training and so on. And so on 14th of uh, April, they came out, they had a news, uh, they, had a, uh, they had a press conference with Stoltenberg, the, you know, the director of NATO, and they announced we will move out our troops unconditionally and will leave. And this was like a nightmare from that day on, not just for us who know the country, who work there, 
who saw all these incredible changes. It was a nightmare for the Afghan people. And we knew that this army, doesn't matter how strongly they fight, they will not be in a position because the US Army took most of their helicopters, their airplanes. And so we witnessed in the last, in the last days, in the last couple of weeks, how one city after the other fell into the hands of, of, of the same people that have, uh, you know, that have ruled in 96, have hosted a lot of these terror organizations from around the world and have brought in an incredible cruel government. You know, I lived there, I saw, you know, we had probably every week some executions there in the airport uh, at the stadium. And Afghans are horrified. Afghans are, they try to get out of the country, but the Taliban have closed every exit. They have closed exit to Pakistan, Tajikistan, Iran, and no civilian flights are allowed anymore. And uh, so it is, so last Friday, um, it was a Sunday, uh, Afghanistan, um, it was Sunday a week ago, Kabul fell in the hands of the Taliban, the capital. And US troops and Germans and others, they have not really taken care of those soldiers that fought with them. Uh, who will be definitely slaughtered by the Taliban. They would like to get a hold of them. Uh, and, and so they had to rush back in again to get these people out, to get government officials out, to get army people out from the Afghan army. And, uh, and it is a huge mess. I heard today that even airplanes are flying out of Kabul with just a few people in there because those who need to get into the airport cannot because the Taliban are outside and preventing them to get into the airport because they're not interested that any one of them gets out because they want to lay hands on these people. So house to house searches have already begun. begun. And of course, uh, every city is in the hands of those people who have captured that city. So let's say one of one, there are different groups, different factions whoever captures this city, they can kill, they can loot, they can do whatever they want. There's nobody who stops them. And those leaders that sit in Doha and you know, talk to the world who say we have changed, they really don't have much authority. Mm -hmm. uh, if they cannot tell those guys who captured Kandahar, you are not allowed to do this, 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 this. So you cannot imagine what is going on in this country right now the horrors and we're getting every day we get phone calls we get messages emails people begging us to help them to get out and they cannot get out mm. so uh, americans uh, are moving out uh, by end of this month they will probably start already from tomorrow on or day after tomorrow do not take uh, do not allow any people anymore to come to the airport no local people so, uh, you know, even our, my, our own staff that has worked for faithfully for many, many years with us, they were begging us, but they, we cannot help them. And so what will happen after the, all the troops move out? Um, I think we can, um, we just, you know, we just fear that the worst will happen and that this country falls back again to where it was, uh, 20 years ago.
Yeah, I, and Afghanistan has, has been a tragic battlefield for decades now, if not centuries. But the, the current uh, mess really starts with the Soviet invasion. There was yeah. a civil war going on, and one faction wanted to impose communism, so the Soviets backed them. And these Mujahideen, the Islamic uh, holy warriors, uh, different militias teamed up. And, um, and, but that war, I think we have to put it in perspective, that nine-year war left up to two million dead and six million uprooted. And you've said that since the U.S. invasion in uh, 2001, that I think there's around 160,000 dead is the estimate, much less, and actually 4 million people repatriated who had to flee before and have come back. But the, the Taliban never completely vanquished, always lurking there, and they've made this incredible quick comeback. But they... Tell us a little about the Taliban. I understand they were one of the uh, Mujahideen militias, largely Pashtun, that their success was largely due to help from the Pakistan military and, and secret intelligence. That That's how they won control of the country. They got help from Pakistan. Is that correct? <clears throat> well, the Taliban, yes, they must have got support. You know, I don't even need to... You know, point out certain countries because their fighters were very well paid. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, they had weapons, you know, lots of weapons. They had money. They had, you know, how could they otherwise fight for 20 years? Mm -hmm. So they must, they must have had massive support, uh, which of course they did. And uh, so, um, and uh, they, but they, did capture quite large parts of the countryside, but they were never able, as long as the uh, as the NATO and US military was in there, uh, you know, it was, they had a master plan. They had a plan in there, you know, in, initially they, they secured the capital, then they moved out to the biggest cities, then they started to train the army because there was no army, there was no police force anymore. They trained police, they trained army. At the beginning, they were still fighting alongside the soldiers. In the last years, they did no fighting anymore. It was the Afghan army was doing the fighting, and uh, and the NATO and US forces, they just supported them. They gave them a logistical support. They trained them. And so maybe two years, three years down the road, they would have had trained enough pilots for the helicopters, you know, the planes, So they, because Afghanistan is a mountainous country, you know, you can only supply your army through through air support, you know. Now, you take the helicopters away, it's like you take a soldier, you send him to war, and you take his gun away. <laughs> when I heard that they're pulling out their, their, their army and they take their, you know, their, they took their helicopters, they take their planes, I knew from that moment on that this country is lost. <laughs> and unsaid stories of Afghan army units fighting for one week, two weeks, three weeks, and running out of ammunition and getting not supplied, running out of food, and there were no supplies. And then the Taliban captured them and then they killed all of them. So that's why so many of them gave themselves up. They said, well, we fight, we will not get no support because there was not, they were not able to support the army. So this tragedy was, is man-made. Uh, it's 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 very clear, 
um, it is man-made, uh, you know, why to pull out and endanger 20 years of, uh, you know, of, of building up this country. You know, up to the 14th of April, you can read every statement that NATO made up to that time. And they would always say the troops have to stay in there for a while uh, because they're not able to, to fight the Taliban alone. We need to stay in there. We need to strengthen the army. Otherwise, we endanger everything that has happened in the last 20 years. That's what they repeatedly said till finally on the 14th of April, they come out and they said, we are moving out. And the German government in March, one month before that decision, uh, extended the um, extended again the the, the mission the, of the, the Bundeswehr, the German army, in Afghanistan. They gave again permission till January 2022, and they and the major parties they said they must stay in there, not to endanger what has happened so far. The Afghan army is not strong enough, so they make this decision. The parliament votes for it. They extend their stay there, and a month later, they move out, and they move out so quickly and leave those other people behind that have fought with the German army. And suddenly it comes into the news that these people are still in Afghanistan. They have not been taken out. And suddenly the government says, oh, we have to do something about it. So they rush back in again. And now in the last minute, they try to, to get these people out, which many people will not be able to get out. Some, you know, as you mentioned, there are some Taliban uh, spokespeople trying to say we're different now and all. But w from your experience, what is the nature of the Taliban and their motivation? Is it they're trying to preserve like ancient ways, stay in their role? Is it Islamist? What's <clears throat> motivating in the, in the nature of this militia? They want to introduce a true Islamic country. And this is what they have said. It's an Islamic Emirate. Uh, Sharia law will be the supreme law. And you have in different Muslim countries, you have different interpretations. Let's say Turkey, they might not use Sharia law. In other countries, they use certain laws or Sharia laws. Let's say if you have moral, uh, you know, for moral failures, um, whatever, you know, certain laws. But in Afghanistan, when I was there, they abolished all the other laws, any crime, anything that happened, they looked into the hadith, they looked into the life of, of their prophet, what he has done in the past, and that became the law. You know, and, uh, and, uh, and so, so any crime that was committed, they said, what is Sharia law saying? So they implemented it to the, I think, stronger than probably any other country in the world. And uh, so, so uh, you just ask an expert of Sharia law, you know, I mean, we have seen it there. We have seen executions. We have seen amputations in the stadium and all this stuff that was going on. Uh, maybe they might not uh, do these certain things anymore, not to annoy, you know, the Western governments, uh, uh, but they will definitely, it will definitely strongly affect, uh, you know, the minorities. Uh, it will strongly affect the women, first of all. Uh, it will affect, of course, you know, education. 
um, cultural life. I don't think there will be any TV broadcasts where there is maybe cultural music, you know, like they have there, uh, or, you know, dramas, whatever, you know, they have on their, also if they have in their culture. Uh, so it will be uh, a, a government which will again try to implement as much the Sharia law as possible. They, do they have like uh, Sunni uh, Quranic experts that, that know all this history? Or are they relying on? Yes, on... They, no, they, I think they have their own, you know, expert own. and uh, they, um, and they're on their own interpretation, which is a very conservative inter interpretation. And that's what can what caused them to give refuge to Al Qaeda, and you think they'd still give refuge to other, especially Sunni radical Sunni uh, Islamist militias, terror militias. Well, we consider them as militias. We consider them as terrorists. They would say these are our brothers. But but they, yeah, some of these Arab terrorists from from outside the country, like the like the Al Qaeda was. In other words, Afghanistan is likely to become a safe haven for some of these other radical Islamic terror militias now. Has to Again. be seen. Has to be seen. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Also. We want to bring in uh, Dan Diker. Uh, thanks for your patience, Dan, for um, this. And uh, very fascinating from our friend Georg Taubman, who has worked in Afghanistan, a German uh, human rights worker, worked there for 38 uh, years, I think he said, and has even been a Taliban hostage for a while and uh, still has people in the in their land that he knows very well and has a heart for them. Thank you, Georg. If you'll stick with us for a little bit and we'll come back to you for some other comments. But Dan, uh, people were watching this uh, on TV unfold and it felt like, uh, you know, the uh, Saigon exit uh, going even worse and, and talk, you know, talking about how the U.S., uh, none of, um, no American allies could trust the U.S. again and all. And of course, there's implications throughout the world for this, uh, a retreat, America in retreat, uh, but especially for Israel. And we want to uh, uh, get your uh, analysis assessment. But uh, what do you think are some of the things that have gone wrong here, and especially for Israel? Well, thank you for inviting me onto the program. I, I see we have, uh, goodness gracious, uh, you know, well over 150 people around the world, and the Christian Embassy Jerusalem has always been a, a great pillar of democracy, freedom, Judeo-Christian values, and it's a pleasure, uh, especially at a time like this when uh, I think that uh, Jews and Christians uh, and, and Muslims, by the way, throughout the Middle East and throughout the world are now in much greater danger as Mr. Taubman. I think he said it very well. What we expect to see, if I were to, uh, as a former newsman, if I were to apply a, a headline to this uh, a webinar, to this uh, Zoom session, I would say we can, expect, uh, we can expect Afghanistan to fall again to where it was at pre-9-11, uh, which was really Afghanistan, Pakistan, and then Afghanistan had become the, the global center for global jihad. Um, with uh, Osama bin Laden, and it's, um, you know, even though Osama bin Laden is no longer with us, his son Hamzi bin Laden is known to be uh, hiding out in Afghanistan, and as well as Ayman, Ayman al-Zawahiri, who is the uh, effective leader of al-Qaeda, is understood to be hiding in Afghanistan today. 
and and Afghanistan today is the center of uh, thousands of global jihad fighters. We need to understand that. Mm. Um, there are, uh, you know, whether it's the TTI, whether it's uh, ISIS K, which are which are formerly uh, disenchanted fighters from uh, Taliban Afghanistan, who then um, uh, formed ISIS uh, Pakistan. They're in. We've got a couple of thousand of those fighters. We've got Al We've got uh, about 500 to 600 Al Qaeda fighters. You've got uh, several thousand uh, other foreign fighters in Af in Afghanistan. And as uh, as the United States knows very well, and the European uh, the Western European uh, defense community has been talking about in the last month a report submitted uh, by the by the analytical and, and monitoring support group uh, in Afghanistan support uh, presented to the United Nations Security Council uh, that uh, the Taliban has been protecting Al Qaeda forces in no fewer than 12 provinces uh, in uh, in Afghanistan, especially on the Pakistani uh, Afghani border. And uh, poses a severe uh, a severe security risk, uh, um, you know, out of, of Afghanistan today. So there is no surprise uh, about the acute security threat that uh, that is has been created uh, over the last uh, years. And in fact, the report to the UN Security Council said that 2020 was the worst year for Talibani violence um, in uh, compared to, to years prior. So one wonders why. Uh, the United States took this decision to to um, to rush its uh, uh, its exit out of Afghanistan in view of the complete 180 degree sh uh, a different opinion that U.S. Uh, the U.S. Uh, uh, Defense Department of Defense, as well as MI5 in Britain and the German security, as well as the German security officials and German security. A national security um, uh, division and uh, uh, you know of the uh, of the Federal Republic of Germany have been saying in concert with NATO that there is a a growing national security threat to to Western um, security interests as opposed to a uh, let's call it a depreciation or amortization of security threat. So now uh, with with knowing for sure confirmed that the Taliban Al Qaeda connection has strengthened, not weakened. That well, what what message does that send to other jihadi and other Islamic forces around the Middle East? Well, I would say that just in the way that the, you know, the uh, uh, the eighty from starting in eighty nine, when the Taliban uh, and actually was uh, mentored by a Palestinian cleric from a an area north of Geneva, the name of Dal Azam, uh, who ultimately was probably assassinated by Osama bin Laden himself, but but that gave way uh, to the uh, to the global jihad in Afghanistan in pre 9/11 days back in the mid back in the late 80s and, and early 90s. Well, let's remember that the uh, that the Iranian Revolution in 1979 was being watched very carefully by Sunni Islam and those jihadists, uh, you know, in in Pakistan and Afghanistan and other areas uh, throughout the region and in Syria, uh, and and therefore symbolism symbolism is very very important in uh you know in the the world of jihad and it's no it's no secret david that uh that the hamas leadership was the first leadership to congratulate the taliban uh in their reconquering of afghanistan in the last weeks uh and and let's remember that when israel voluntarily withdrew in september in august september 2005 from the gaza strip lock stock and barrel in the interest of peace 
which is exactly the same type of rhetoric that the United States uh, political establishment led by President Biden has used now, that in the interest mm -hmm. of peace, following a deal that was signed, as, uh, as we know, in Qatar in uh, February 2020, uh, for a full pullout of U.S. forces uh, in Afghanistan in exchange for a Taliban promise, in inverted commas, that there would be no permission granted to Al-Qaeda, not only permission, but they would, they would prevent Al-Qaeda and other jihadi forces from using Afghanistan as a base of operations the way they did before 9-11 uh, and during 9-11 and just after 9-11. Well, that promise hasn't been well kept. And, and the Israeli, I mean, the, the, the United States should have looked at the, uh, Israel's experimental pullback withdrawal from the Gaza Strip, which turned out to be a strategic disaster for Israel, because as we know, uh, Hamas is no less jihadi than the Taliban Al-Qaeda is. Uh, and they are, we, and it is now, the Gaza Strip is now being used as a headquarters for the Iranian regime, uh, using their uh, Sunni proxies, uh, Hamas, in order to attack the state of Israel in our residential areas, our synagogues, our, our, our synagogues, churches, mosques, um, hospitals, uh, and, 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 you know, uh, people watching Engage here, the 160 people in this Zoom session know that uh, 4,300 rockets were fired into apartment buildings throughout Israel, throughout central, southern and central Israel from the Hamas because it's become, it's become a Taliban-like center for jihadi activity against Israel. And why the, and why the U.S. government, why uh, Secretary Blinken, who, by the way, was my classmate at Harvard College back in 1980-84, didn't pay attention to Israel's failed attempt to bring peace through unilateral withdrawal in Gaza, which has turned into a strategic threat against, uh, against the state of Israel. Uh, God only knows. Now, the other, I think the other example we need to pay attention to is what happened in, when Israel withdrew unilaterally from Lebanon in 2000. Um, uh, in, in the face of the Iranian Hezbollah proxy, Hassan Nasrallah, who called Israel weaker than a spider's web, uh, you know, when we withdrew unilaterally overnight under former Prime Minister Ehud Barak in the interest of peace. And what happened when there is a vacuum of security? Um, there, that vacuum is filled up by Islamist jihadi forces. And as my dear friend and co-author Khaled Abutuame said to me just minutes before we went on to this program, uh, half an hour ago, he said to me, Dan, you know, Islam, the, what has happened now with the Taliban, especially the scenes at the airport, that Islam can claim victory over the West. And what we know, uh, Islam can claim victory over what Osama bin Laden himself said in a fatwa in 1998 over the Zionist Crusader Alliance which is the alliance of, of the Christian world and the Jews um, uh, against Islam. That is their view. So from an Islamic point of view, uh, Islam is patient. Islam is loyal to the Quran uh, and to their historical war uh, that began 1,500 years ago uh, against, uh, against Christendom and against the Jews. And it continues today. And what has happened in Afghanistan is just the latest example from their point of view that the, the way to victory opposite the West is not through negotiations, it's not through democracy, it's not through moderation, it's not through negotiations, it is through mukawama. It is through the, 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 the sense of violent resistance, uh, pop, what they call popular resistance, 
against the Zionist Crusader Alliance. And, and so I am afraid, as my friend Khalid and I will uh, state in a paper that will come out at the Jerusalem Center for Public Affairs next week, that, uh, that what President Biden has done is he now meets with Prime Minister Naftali Bennett as we speak, he has basically undermined any chances for a peace process between the Palestinians and Israel, because today the Palestinian public, uh, you know, in, in uh, around Israel, the Palestinian areas and across the Middle East, Muslims are saying it's the Taliban, Al-Qaeda, Hamas approach to the West, which is jihad, which is mukawama, which is resistance, no negotiations, and it puts the Palestinian Authority, the PL uh, and the Fatah in a position of never be, of not being able to negotiate uh, because otherwise they will be looked at as stooges of the Crusader, of the Zionist Crusader Alliance. So I don't think that the Americans really thought through this. They didn't think through the cultural intelligence of what's happening uh, on the ground and what they and what they now have triggered on the ground, which is from the point of view of how things look and how things are perceived from the Islamic point of view, this is a, a strategic victory for Islam against the West. Mm. Thank you, thank you, Dan. I, I'm, uh, I'm just, um, I find it interesting that both you and Georg have pointed out, I don't know if it's a consensus among European leaders, if, if it's just among some of the military leaders and all, but that there were, this was not the time, uh, all these European leaders saying this was not the time to withdraw from Afghanistan and that it was mainly a US decision to do this against the wishes of uh, America's European and NATO allies. And I, I just find that interesting. And Dan, you mentioned a Palestinian connection. Some of the earliest in the infancy of the Taliban some of their earliest contacts with, say, outside or Arab uh, jihadists was with uh, Palestinian militiamen that had come there from the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. It's even more, David, it's even more than that. Um, Abdullah, Dr. Abdullah Azam was, yes. was a Palestinian cleric who was the mentor of Osama bin Laden. He was in charge. He traveled to Pakistan and to Afghanistan and to the United States, by the way, mm -hmm. to recruit Arabs and others to fight the global jihad um, uh, against the West. And, and he got into a real uh, a fight of uh, ego and control with Osama bin Laden. It was, he was killed in 1989. It was feared that he was actually killed by Obama, Osama bin Laden's people himself. Uh, and, and that would then birth lead to the birth of, of uh, Al-Qaeda forces, um, uh, you know, in, uh, uh, in the late uh, 1980s, early 1990s. Uh, and, um, you know, we've really got to understand that from an ideological point of view, um, the, uh, the Palestinian Hamas are at, and by the way, Abdullah, Abdullah Azam is one of the founders of the Hamas as well, um, in the late, in 1988. Um, and, uh, we've got to understand that there is a, an affiliation, Islamic affiliation, and a mutual sense of inspiration and support. Uh, so for all those that are looking for some uh, goodwilled negotiation between Palestinian leadership and Israel, which is, of course, is the only democracy in the region and uh, has made six uh, consecutive offers uh, to end the Palestinian-Israeli conflict, and each one of those offers was turned down for a different reason. And now you have the 
the the the Taliban inspired Hamas, um, you know, saying we are the standard for the way we're the ones that chase the Jews out of Gaza, not not any kind of negotiation. Taking the model for the Taliban, um, and now the Taliban, you know, being inspired by what the Hamas did back in 2000, you know, in the months after Israel drew 2005. Remember, Hamas won a very convincing parliamentary victory in 2006, uh, and then and then engaged in a putsch, and then engaged in a putsch in 2000 and in 2007. Uh, in 2007, and and the uh, uh, and obviously the. It seems that the Taliban has drawn inspiration from how the Hamas and the Hezbollah, by the way, in 2000 and even in 2006, fought, uh, fought uh, the Zionist part of what they call the Zionist Crusader Alliance. So we are in a war of civilizations uh, in the Middle East and, and um, the, the Judeo-Christian uh, alliance, if you will, or the alliance of moderate uh, uh, Arab states uh, has now taken a blow in, because due to America, the way America has executed this um, this uh, pullout in Afghanistan. Yeah. Dan, I know Israelis have seen uh, the, you know, these scenes going on in Afghanistan, people trying to flee this Taliban Islamist militia. And, uh, you know, everyone's talking about Saigon and, and the U.S. withdrawal there. But Israelis have seen this, as you've mentioned, in, in South Lebanon in the year 2000. They said they would be out by July. But Prime Minister Barak pulled him out overnight at the end of May, and the South Lebanese army allied with Israel. They had no notice of this, and they they just weren't prepared to face the much larger Hezbollah on their own. And so many of them fled for the border, and the cars were all parked and stacked up against each other trying to get across the border. I think the SLA was a capable force and a willing force but just not strong enough to face up against Hezbollah. And then the uh, disengagement from Gaza, which you mentioned, the Israeli pullout, uh, an election in, uh, in 2006 and 2007, it was the PA uh, forces trained by the US, funded by the Europeans, they proved that they were not willing to risk their lives for a paycheck when it comes to confronting uh, militias inspired by Islam or some other ideology. They just weren't willing able to do it. So the PA forces were routed by Hamas there. And I think there's something about what happened in Afghanistan is, is similar. The, you know, the forces just, be, you know, it's nice to get a paycheck for serving in the army and and such, but you're not willing to risk your life for that when it comes to, you know, wild jihadists willing to risk their lives for to spread uh, jihad and Islam. And I, I really think uh, for Israelis watching this, it brings back those sort of memories as well. You, know, you make a very good point, David. I, I think it points to two larger issues. One, uh, Professor Bernard Lewis of uh, A Blessed Memory used to spend, uh, you know, the, the greatest Western arguably the greatest Western um, authority on Islam, the Near East, used to ask this question rhetorically, what does it mean in the, what does it mean to be an Afghan, what does it mean to be an Afghani? Does it mean, does it mean the same thing, uh, you know, to, to be an American or to be a Brit or to be a Frenchman or a Frenchwoman? Uh, wh what does nationalism mean within the Arab world? Well, it's no surprise that the Taliban calls itself the Islamic Emirate of Afghanistan, which the Americans do not recognize, 
but it really it really points to a much deeper identity crisis within the Arab world and the notion of nationalism and it, it's that way with the Palestinians. I mean, what does it mean to be uh, what does it mean to be a Palestinian? There was there was never a there was look at this. My phone is going crazy here. I'm going to be turning this. I'm going to you know sorry about that. Um, it, it, what does it mean to be an Afghani? Well, the Taliban will tell you what it means. It means Islam, tribes, family, and clans. That's what it means. And and therefore, you know, in the same way that uh, the um, the Palestinian Authority forces were unwilling to put their really put their lives on the line uh, opposite their own uh, Islamic motivated uh, uh, fellow Muslim Arabs, Arab Muslims, uh, you you have a similar situation today with with the Taliban and and uh, and Afghanistan. I think that the United States gets it wrong. They get it culturally wrong uh, when they think that the entire world is like America. Well, the entire world is not like America, but at, at the same time, it really raises the issue uh, that America really is, in, in a sense, uh, one of the the most important uh, uh, preservers of international security. I mean, America has 320,000 troops across Europe. They have 55,000 troops in uh, in Japan. They have uh, 28,000 troops in South Korea. They have troops in, they have an essential command for the Navy is in Bahrain. They have they have American forces in Qatar. In Qatar. You know, it, 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 for America to be pulling out right now from, uh, as Mr. Taubman said, what is essentially the, the, the center for global jihad, once again, it, it just reflects a, a lack of, of cultural and ideological uh, and security understanding for where we are. It, America mm -hmm. really has no, in my view, and the view of many others uh, here at the Jerusalem Center and in, in Israel, America has got to maintain security presence uh, to keep uh, you know, stability in one of the most, perhaps arguably the most unstable parts of the world. There's no choice. And if America wants to, uh, uh, you know, stand up for freedom and, and, and liberty and security for people across the world, well, it's, uh, it's high time that they, you know, they maintain that, that type of uh, presence uh, in Afghanistan and other sensitive spots. If they, if they put hundreds of thousands of troops around the world, they certainly can keep uh, you know, uh, special forces uh, where they were in Afghanistan, because it, it seems to me the chances are very likely that we will see uh, the same and worse type of jihadi behavior. And let's remember, they're just minutes away from a nuclear-backed Pakistan. They're minutes away. They're not far away from the nuclearizing Iranian regime. Uh, uh, and uh, with all those other foreign jihadi forces running around, that mixture of terrorism and nuclear power is a very uh, frightening, um, it is a very frightening and worrying prospect. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I want to say thank you, Dan, but uh, not so thankful for the analysis here. It's very uh, foreboding. I want to go back to Gregor and uh, just um, ask you, I know um, you still have a lot of connections, I, maybe some people who are working directly with you in the land, and how can we pray for them? And you, you mentioned that the border with uh, Pakistan is closed, with Iran, even Tajikistan to the north, where there's still that northern alliance, there are non-Pushtan, non-Taliban militias up there that might be friendly to some of the folks who are in danger. Uh, how can we pray for your folks and how are you going to continue to operate in a place that you, you've invested four decades there? How, how, what do you see in trying to keep, uh, keep working in Afghanistan? Well, 
we had to pull out and uh, we have no idea what's going to happen. Uh, when I was arrested uh, 20 years ago, they arrested also as many local people as possible. So, uh, of course, they have to leave now and flee. Um, so uh, we really don't know what's going to happen. Um, uh, we, we, I think, uh, what I suspect is that there will be some kind of a power power struggle in that whole setup because there's so many different factions, some very, very radical, some a little bit more moderate. And uh, uh, yes, we, we just need to pray for this government, for this, for this country that uh, it will not fall in the hands of the same type of people that were there in 2020. It would be horrible. We will see huge waves of refugees coming again. Um, and uh, we will see a lot of injustice. We will see a lot of, uh, a lot of killings, executions, and stuff like that. Um, yes, do pray that uh, for all those that, you know, that there are many people who work with the government, people who work with the army, people who worked with, you know, the police, they are now on the line. If they are being caught, they will be killed, mm -hmm. many of them. Uh, and pray for these people that somehow there would be a way for them to escape. Uh, unfortunately, this uh, operation is coming out on end uh, because uh, Biden again decided to not extend the time. This could have saved many more lives if they would have extended it, but they're pulling out and leaving many people back at the hands of these people that will, uh, yeah, that will take revenge. Yes. yes so, yeah. so the the Kabul the door the opening through the Kabul airport is going to close totally. in close. five days according to whatever arrangement it could be sooner yeah. Yeah. volatile but we, we're going to pray I'm just asking people to pray for yes. safe havens to open inside the country yeah. where yeah. people yeah. know where they will be safe mm -hmm. and corridors to get out uh, for yes. those who really need to flee. Yeah. Uh, and that one day there'll be a, a return of goodness and light uh, to to Afghanistan. But uh, we just commend you, Georg, for your Thank work you. there. And it's not all in vain. We want to encourage you and hope you. all your people are safe. Mm. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. I know you. it's an urgent uh, yeah. time right now. You, yeah. There may be lives on the line. You have other people to go and talk to. So please, uh, yes. Yes. Uh, you're excused. But we thank you again thank for you. your time. Very valuable mm. to give us direct knowledge of mm. what's going on there. Yeah. Thank you. God bless thank you. you thank you for your prayers. You. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Bye bye. Yeah. Dan, we'll, we'll wrap up the last few minutes. Uh, you need to understand it's not only hundreds here on the Zoom call, we're on Facebook Live and YouTube channel. We got hundreds more watching there and this will air all over the weekend. We'll boost it and get a lot of more people watching. But we want to sort of uh, talk about just for a few minutes, uh, Prime Minister Bennett visiting Washington, uh, hoping to convince uh, Joe Biden, who appears to be a president in retreat, uh, giving in to, you know, the enemy uh, to, to stand up to Iran. And do you have any hope that any good will come out of this, or is Israel on its own now when it comes to the Iranian nuclear threat? Uh, well, that's an, obviously that's the sixty-four thousand dollar question, right? Uh, it it, it seems it appears that 
in view of President Biden's uh, lost leverage at this point because of the catastrophe and the strategic disaster in, in uh, Afghanistan, uh, as well as the, uh, as the real collapse of uh, his approach to Iran, uh, that uh, they, they actually need the Israelis, um, I think, in a very uh, palpable way. Israel has the best human, uh, human intelligence on Iran of any, probably of any country in the world. Uh, and um, uh, Israel's strategy that had been undertaken under uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu of, of hitting uh, Iranian proxies, Iran and its proxies in Syria has, had been very successful uh, in, um, in knocking out uh, uh, weapon systems, strategic weapons, uh, strategic balance breaking weapon systems and so on. Now, with Bennett and Netanyahu actually see the world quite similarly with respect to the Iranian regime threat, uh, its malign behavior in the reason, you know, as people on this call probably know, Iran, the Iranian regime is subverting almost every single country in the Middle East, um, from Iraq to Syria and, from, and Lebanon, as well as in Gaza and Yemen. Um, uh, and it, it has its fingers in Africa as well. And the United States and Israel, uh, you know, see, I think, see things fairly similarly it's, with regard to Iran. And it seems that Iran, uh, under its new uh, president, will, will refuse to re-engage with the United States because it's going to exact a much higher price that the United States will very likely not pay. Uh, so that, that really brings the United States and Israel's strategic dis discussion to a much better place, if you will, because we're, we're not, we won't be so far, far, much farther apart on the JCPOA, which is a dangerous agreement uh, for the West, a dangerous agreement for Israel and the Middle East. Um, I think what Bennett has tried to do is to come in what they call with a new, uh, with a new sense of spirit uh, in terms of a, uh, its outreach uh, to both to Democrats and, and Republicans, where in the last eight years it had been much more a love affair between Israel and the, uh, the administration and more the Republican Party than it had been the Democratic Party. I think that the, the, I think Bennett's outreach uh, on the uh, uh, in that sense, just from a, a tonal point of view, uh, will be welcomed uh, in Washington. But uh, it's very clear that uh, uh, it's very clear that uh, uh, the United States, in my view, will be relying on Israel, uh, especially in view of this uh, great instability that we're seeing across the region, uh, from Syria to Lebanon to Gaza, and and now very much driven, propelled forward by this American retreat uh, in Afghanistan. Mm, yeah. Uh, just uh, to catch everyone up, in recent weeks, the International Atomic Energy Agency, uh, the UN Atomic Watchdog, they have said that Iran has is now enriching uranium up to 60%. I think the JCPOA yeah. allows 3.7% percent but 60 the step from 60 to 90 percent weapons grade is very very short it's nine tenths of the way there and they've also been hammering out this uranium enriched uranium metal which is used in warheads so the IAEA has has confirmed both activities which are some of the last steps to creating a nuclear bomb and now uh, the Israeli defense minister Benny Gantz has just said he believes Iran is two weeks, two months away from producing a nuclear weapon. And this is running up against Israel's policy or promise as former uh, 
uh, U.S. Uh, ambassador to Israel, Michael Oren, he says it's not Israel doesn't have a policy; they have a promise not to let any uh, regional hostile neighbor acquire uh, nuclear weapons against Israel. So uh, it's we, we got to really wake up and pray, people. We got to be alert and and uh, standing with Israel, hoping America will do the right thing towards Iran, put enough pressure to get them to back down. But uh, we shall see. We just want to thank you, Dan, for your time here. Any last thoughts? I, I think that perhaps uh, the administration knows very well those pictures coming out of Kabul uh, airport uh, that they may well have to uh, uh, pull it together and support Israel, take a, take a tougher line on Iran uh, based on the uh, collapse in Afghanistan. So it may well have a corrective influence on their position on Iran because they've got to show the American people that they're tough on terror. And, um, and following this, uh, this, this sort of defeat uh, in Afghanistan may, may provide that opportunity. Um, and, you know, assuming that also that the, the Israelis can make that argument, I think they probably will. Uh, America probably knows that the Biden administration knows that it's got to have a win against terror. So it, it may actually uh, provide the silver lining to take a much tougher uh, stance against the Iranian regime's nuclearizing malign terrorists subversion of the Middle East. Okay, we're going to uh, wrap up there with one last uh, bit that uh, someone watching uh, the webinar here has just said the BBC is reporting an explosion just outside the Kabul airport. There's been reports all day of some uh, Al-Qaeda or ISIS-affiliated militia wanting to set off an explosion there. So something apparently has happened outside the airport, which may further close the door for people trying to escape uh, the Taliban. Uh, but we need to shift gears now, uh, really shift gears, and talk about uh, what's upcoming for the ICEJ. Tomorrow we have a feast uh, webinar. Uh, about our upcoming online Feast of Tabernacles. Please join us at three o'clock tomorrow. We'll be talking to some of the next generation leaders in the embassy about uh, carrying forth the torch of the feast and how it's impacted their lives already and, and the vision for the future of the feast, but especially this year's uh, Sukkot celebration tomorrow at three o'clock. Uh, um, and uh, you can go to our website, icj.org, to find out how you can tune in there. Uh, also, next week, our global prayer gathering, next Wednesday at 4 p.m. Israel time, and then a week from today uh, at 4 o'clock, next Thursday, again, our weekly webinar. We're getting close to Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish High Holidays, and we think we're going to roll out a teaching on Rosh Hashanah, by my colleague, uh, my uh, fellow vice president uh, at, here at the Christian Embassy for International Affairs, Dr. Moimir Kallas. So that's the agenda coming up. Thank you, Dan Diker, again, from the Jerusalem Center for Public Affairs for your analysis. We want to thank uh, Gregor Taubman from uh, Germany, who's been working almost 40 years in Afghanistan for their contributions in today's webinar. And God bless you from Jerusalem. David, and I'd be very delighted to have people engage with me at DanDiker84 on Twitter. I'm more than happy to engage with the community at DanDiker84 on Twitter. Thank you so Great. much. Great.
Through the prophet Elijah, the Lord worked mighty miracles all across the land of Israel. This year at the Feast of Tabernacles, we want you to experience that same fire of the Holy Spirit as in the days of Elijah. Journey with us through seven days of exciting Sukkot events in Jerusalem and all around Israel. Join us live from Qumran on the shores of the Dead Sea, where the voices of the prophets still echo. From Capernaum on the Sea of Galilee, where Jesus' miracle-working power was on display. And from Mount Carmel, where the fire of God rained down. You don't want to miss a minute of this year's feast. When you register online today, you'll get access to all seven live shows from around Israel and over 80-plus seminars from Bible teachers and experts around the world. You'll also be able to join us for global prayer and anointed worship from Israeli and international artists. I know the Lord has a special appointment with you at the Feast of Tabernacles this year. Register online today and we'll see you at the feast.